What's up and welcome to another episode of the Tabletop for Two podcast. I'm Brad Van Vutt. And I'm Emily Van Vutt. And uh, we're going to be talking asymmetric games today, a type of game that's kind of near and dear to my heart. And this was a listener-suggested topic from Justin, so thank you, Justin, for that. And that'll be our main topic for the show this week. Uh, we have some new stuff that we want to talk about before we get there, some new games we've been playing, including two kind of gems that we didn't really know much about before but got recently in a trade and both really worked like out them. really well. So we'll talk <laughs> about that shortly. Uh, just a quick reminder, though, where you can find us. Uh, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you look for at Tabletop for Two, you found us. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, or any other podcatching service that you use. We have a BGG Guild. It's number 2623. So if you go to Board Game Geek, you can certainly check that out. Uh, we're on Periscope at Tabletop for Two. And uh, again, we are we, we asked a couple weeks ago, we'll ask again, if you guys have any topics that you would like to hear us talk about on the show, certainly submit them to us either on Facebook or Twitter, and we will certainly consider them because we are taking <laughs> this submissions is where I, right now. We need now. Like, the voiceover of Micah going, what do you people want to talk about? I, I thought about doing. I thought about doing like a mailbag seg- segment every once in a while as well. Actually, and, and if you guys would be interested in hearing that, where you can just kind of ask us whatever you want, um, gaming wise, then you know that's certainly something we can look at doing as a semi regular yeah. segment too. So again, let us know if that's something you want to hear us see and do. Um, the first thing we're going to talk about though is actually not a game. Uh, it's actually it's our new baby. Yeah, our, our gaming table that we got. So we talked. Um, several episodes ago about the Duchess Game Table, which was a Kickstarter project uh, being run by Mm -hmm. BoardGameTables.com, which was a new table that they were putting out. So Board Game Tables normally does, like, made-to-order custom tables um, that are very expensive and very extravagant. Kind of a pipe dream for us, you know. Yeah, something we wanted, but we're like, eh, maybe one day way down the road. But then they did this Kickstarter project where they were making a new table that was mass produced that had very limited options, but because of the mass production, it lowered the price down dramatically because thanks, you know, economies of scale and all that. So we backed it. Um, and we actually just received it, uh, a couple of weeks weeks ago. ago. Yeah. And, uh, we were among the first pictures. If you follow us, (laughs) yeah, you've seen a few pictures and we, uh, and we were actually in the first shipment of tables that got sent, um, that got sent over because we were one of the earliest backers. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about, about this. Um, not too much, though, because we actually had an idea to do like a video review, which for this would probably be much more apropos, mm-hmm. um, just because it's, you know, you can only describe so much when you're talking about it. So look look forward to that. And of course, we'll announce on on Facebook and, and Twitter when we do that. Uh, but the table's a pretty solid piece of furniture so far mm-hmm. that we found. I actually need to get a bigger rug because my current rug is too small. <laughs> yes. Yes, it, it was slightly bigger than than the table we currently had. The um the playing area is 3 by 5 um and then it the rails extend out another couple inches on every side. So it's a shade bigger than the table we had before, which was a little under 3 by 5. Like I think it's actually as wide but not as not as, or sorry, it's as long but not as wide. Right, is what I was trying to say. Well, our other one also had the removable leaf that we could make it longer. True, if we needed to that, that that did have that as well. Um, you really don't realize how cool it is to have an inset playing surface until you have an inset playing surface. So, can I tell them what I told you that first? Sure, night? go for it. <laughs> so, I have this. Pr- 
problem that when we're playing games, if I have to reach across to do something, my boobs inevitably get in the way and hit all my stuff and knock all my stuff off kilter. Now that it's inset, my boobs don't get in the way and knock my stuff all out of whack. Yeah, because <laughs> a lot of games we played before, like with you know individual player boards and stuff like that, those would be kind of close to the edge of the table. Right. So that's and then the next thing I know, I look, I'm like, crap, where does all my stuff go? I'm right. Like, Ugh. <laughs> But yes, I don't have the boob problem now that it's inset in the table. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and um, and and the build the build quality is pretty good. Um, it was pretty easy to put together. Like if you've done IKEA furniture, it's like half a step above it that. It took basically. him like half an hour to put it together, like just the table itself. Yeah, yeah. Two man job because there's there's parts where you kind of do need someone to hold it up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was pretty easy to do. And it was great because the boxes that it came in kept our son busy while we were yes, putting it, it together. <laughs> and uh, and the topper is pretty solid too. Um, it can be removed with one strong person. Uh, ideally, you'd want to use two people to to put it off and take it on. It does a great job covering the table. Mm-hmm. Um, looks pretty. Looks it looks really nice. The the stain that we got, I, I very. You know, I'm glad pleased we went, with. I'm glad we went with the brown for sure. Now there is some some negative stuff. So a lot of the first shipment folks um, had some minor damage to the table, and we weren't immune from that. Though it looks like we came out better than most, probably. Yeah. yeah. So all of the tables on the underside of the rails um, had some scratching because I guess the two, you know, the the underside of the rails were rubbing together in shipment. Not a big deal. Nobody sees that. We got a stain pen and we're able to cover that up mm-hmm. you wouldn't even know it was there now the one the two issues that that we did that kind of did beleaguer us um one of them was the playmat which shrunk up a little bit because there, there's but a they knew about play that mat. and they told you a couple they weeks did. ahead of time yeah the, and and the other part was our topper has some cracks and breaks in it as well um but like em said uh chad deshaun who's the owner of board game tables who did a terrific job and continues to do a terrific job communicating to all the backers through the Kickstarter process, um, kind of let everyone know up front that that was the playmat everyone knew up front. And then as backers were getting their tables, um, you know, it was a very common issue apparently that the topper especially was getting dinged up a little bit. Now they're going to replace everything, which is great. Like we're going to get a new playmat. We're going to get a new topper. Um, and the fact that they've been so upfront about it, Definitely helped take what might have been a little disappointing if we'd gotten it and not known about it and then opened it up that way um, into a situation that's like, oh, okay, you know, it's fine. And and you know what? Our, our topper is still functional. Like, it still works. The cracks are relatively minor but still very noticeable, but we can still use it. Right. No problem. Um, so all in yes, all – Yes, our it, son has his handprints all over it. Yes, he does. <laughs> So, yeah, all in all, it came out pretty well. Um, you know, certainly there was a little bit of nervousness just because, you know, it was a pretty significant price investment and it's on, yeah. an, uh, you know, an un And we're not like rich or anything no. by any means. We kind of had to scrape it together, but we right. did. And and it's worked out really well so far. So if this ever does um, make it to their website where this is a, an option and you're looking to get a board game table. I definitely recommend definitely, it. Yeah, definitely take a look at it because it's a great, more affordable way to do that and again look forward to when we do a video review um where we might you know we'll go into a little bit further depth and then you'll get to actually see our table and and stuff like that and maybe that'll help you um with the decision there as well so that's the duchess from board game tables um we we're loving it so far it's worked out really nicely Next on the list um, was one of my most anticipated games of the year because I wanted it to just not suck because it was one of my Kickstarter backs uh, and that's Starving Artists. We actually just got it in the mail the other day. It was an unexpected surprise. Yeah, they and actually, I I looked at a former 
or like a, a Kickstarter update from a couple weeks before. They did mention that they were shipping it, but it was I didn't even notice it for some reason. So <laughs> so when it showed up at the post office because they shipped it directly from the factory. And it's so funny because I come home from work and he's sitting on the couch and he goes, "Oh hey, I picked up the thing from the post office." I'm like, "Okay." He's like, "I think you'll like it. It's on the table." I go over and look. He put it back in the package. I open up and I like squealed like a little girl because yeah. I was excited. So the gameplay is actually fairly simple. Um, there's there's there are a bunch of cards that have different works, like real life works of art on mm-hmm. them, and each card has a number of cubes, um, and each or a number of square spaces that you have to cover up with these cubes, and each of the square spaces will correspond to, to one color. or two of the colors right. that give you a choice. And during the game, um, each day you're you're each going to take one, um, two actions, and the action could be to acquire more of these paint cubes randomly from a draw bag. Um, you can acquire a work of art that you, you can, can work paint. on, or you can paint, and which is you putting one to four cubes from your supply onto the, the different paintings you have in front of you. Um, you can also trade out cubes um, with a paint market that is established so at the beginning it's not of each day. Very good. Well, if, but if, if you need, you know, I mean, specific if, yeah, because I had to use it a couple times because I absolutely needed a certain color. Right. And I just couldn't draw them out of the bag. And uh, also, each day, um, because it is starving artists, you are going to eat. Some food so that you can live. Yeah. Um, basically, you start with the food. You have a track of food that you start with five food, and each day you're going to go down. The way you acquire more food is by selling your painting. So every time you sell a painting, which you can do at the end of a round if it's complete, uh, you'll get a certain number of food. Yeah, there's a food number and there's a paint number. Right. And you'll get a certain number of food back. Um, as Em said, there's a paint number, which basically you get to acquire cubes from the paint market um, when you sell a painting. And each painting is also worth a number of victory points as well from zero to three now each round the paint market is populated with four cubes Mm -hmm. but it can easily you know deplete depending on what you guys are doing now every time you pay for a card Mm -hmm. like pay for a painting which range in price from one to three cubes those go into the market yeah you spend your paint to buy buy the cards as well so you can acquire them and and also when you're trading you're doing it you know either two for one or five for two what was it nine for yeah nine for three so you have to pay paint cubes into the market when you do that as well um so there's a little bit of push and pull also there's a huge advantage if two, multiple players are selling paintings in the same round to having a higher paint number because having the higher paint number lets you get more paint cubes from the marketplace. And I get them first. Right, which so you have to really look at, you know, who else is going to be selling or who you mm-hmm. think is going to be selling before you decide to pony up with your own paintings so that oh, you can decide. Also, if you, what do you call it, overfeed yourself, mm-hmm. you get, what, three paint cubes? Four. Four paint yeah, cubes each, out each, of the bag. Each food you earn past your maximum of five, you get to just draw more paint cubes out of the bag, which is a good way to build up supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game ends until either you hit a set number of points or one of you has a set number of paintings mm-hmm. finished. Um, for the two-player game, I think it's 16 points or seven, seven paintings. paintings. Uh, and whoever has... Whoever achieves that first wins, and if both players achieve it simultaneously, then whoever has the most points will win the game. Uh, it's about a 30 to 45 minute game, so this one definitely falls into like the filler category for us. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what, what were your thoughts on it? Because I know you well, liked it a lot. I loved it. I mean, it's one of those, well, and like I said, it was. I was happy that it was a good game because I was mm-hmm. afraid you know I am how I am like you do all this research and I was like I saw this game I was like honey this is really cool and I was just really really happy that it kind of panned out here um the box is great cuz the box is you know 
It has the score track. When you fold out the box, it's mm-hmm. got the score track. It's like your little painter's kit. You know, I love it. It's it's the Biblios box, basically. It yeah. has a magnetic seal on the side that you can, you know, flap it open that way. Um, I thought the game was okay. Like, I like I was, I was perfectly happy playing it. Well, like I said, I also like the, you know, I, I enjoy paintings and artwork and things. Like I said, well, the, the seeing art, the, seeing art on the, the artwork the that part. I know, you know, and that I know very well, I'm just like, you know, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, there were some things that the game did that I thought were clever. Like, I thought the, um, the paint... Rating and and getting to pull more cubes um, from the paint market was a clever way because again it led it lended some strategy instead of automatically yes I'm going to you know sell like my Brad, painting this round Brad purposely hung back around because he knew I was going to sell my painting right or or because like if the paint market was relatively slim and I knew I could get more cubes like you let it build up for a round right. or two and hopefully you know you know you, you get to pull more paint uh, I also like the fact that the game does have the two different ending conditions mm-hmm. and I'm in a two-player game and actually probably in most games just because of the point value of the different paintings um you're probably going to end it on paintings a lot mm-hmm. more frequently because for two players to get to 16 points like if you sell five paintings that are worth three points each which it's hard to do because that's the maximum right and like you still wouldn't get to that point well and like i know both of us i mean there are some paintings that get you no points they just get you lots of food and paint right and and those are certainly a way to acquire that as well so that that was interesting mm-hmm. um yeah like i said the game is good um it's it is a filler game like it's not i don't i don't think it has too much depth and i don't think we saw no, but it's a fun little distraction after no, we played something crazy. You no, know sorry, what I yeah, mean? certainly, uh, it's it's definitely fun, and it it is the correct length of time. Like e- this game could easily be a game that kind of wears out itself. Unlike Castles of Burgundy, the card game, this or one. stuff like that. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, this this this, this like could where easily... we were kind of expecting that to fall into this like thirty to forty five minute, and it was just like whoa. Yeah, it's it like I said, this this game stayed around for the correct amount of time. Speaking of, we should play that again soon. What's that? Castles of Burgundy. I like to bust it out every once in a while. Okay. Off topic. But yeah, Starving Sorry. Artist is uh is is pretty good. <laughs> um definitely check it out if you're looking for something uh as like a filler. Uh so one of the one of these games that we were like this hidden gem that we didn't really know much about, but we got in a trade recently because I've heard good things, uh was Super Motherload. This is from Roxley Games. Uh based off of a video game of the same name, which I've never played, uh, but the the way I sold this to Emily and what got her excited uh, to play it was it's basically a deck building game where you play Dig Dug on on which a board. I loved Dig Dug growing up. Dig Dug, I still love Dig Dug. Yeah, so, so in Super Motherload, you are you are trying to drill and bomb through through this planet to collect different minerals, and collecting these minerals will help you acquire new cards to add to your deck, which are more powerful and also worth victory points. Uh, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to get these achievement cards that are going to be out on the board and and cycle throughout the game. And the achievement cards, there's, there's two different types. There's major achievements, which correspond to collecting certain colors of cards, because each player has a tableau of cards in red, green, blue, and like a wild color. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, is it red, yellow? Blue and a wild color. I think it's doesn't matter. There's there's three what, colors in a wild. I think it's green, honey. Okay. It's red, yellow, green, and then the white. Right. Which is the wild. 
and you're trying to collect certain sets of those cards, and then you have minor achievements, which are worth a little bit less points, but they are more like, you know, drill an area that's four spaces long in one turn, or, you know, bomb two different rock areas in one turn, and you'll get a certain number of victory points I had points one that was like claim... Claim two of the crossbones spaces in one turn. Right. And uh, and as you go through, so you start with one earth board. And as you dr- as you collect these artifact tiles, which are powerful one-shot abilities, but also kind of like the game's timer, um, as soon as all those tiles on one board are collected, then a new board will come in, like, arcade video game style below that and give you more areas to to drill down to, which is kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, you're going to be playing cards out of your hand. You're, you're, you're playing you're, colored sets of cards. And you're gathering resources to buy more cards. Exactly. And that's that's what the minerals are primarily used for. Um, there's also bombs that you can use. So there's there's steel plates that you have to... Bombs. Yeah, you were. There's steel plates that you have to drill through, and then there's rocks that you must bomb through. Um, but in order to use the bombs, which are cool... Um, Abilities that basically let you carve out like a Tetris piece. Right, you have to have the, the bomb card. You have to have a token as well to spend, like a yeah. bomb token, and while you go, and you basically go through until all the artifacts have been collected, and then whoever has the most points between the cards they've acquired and the achievements they've earned is going to win the game. Um, good, probably about forty-five minutes to an hour for this one, I'd say. Yeah, I, I I really did like this one. It was super fun. Quite a bit. I know you did as well. I did. I huh, for you know. For something I knew nothing about, and I was just, and you just said, "Oh, dig, dug." I was like, mm-hmm. "Okay, we'll see how That's it goes." What it is essentially, and I, well, like I said, I still didn't know what to expect. Like I know, like the basics by te- you telling me it's dig, dug, but I kind of have to get like the whole rest of it with the theming and all that. You know, once that all, I'm just like, "Okay, cool, this mm-hmm. is great." Well, and and I like the, um, I really liked how the major achievement cards kind of steered the cards that you collected. Absolutely. In a lot of ways. Um, because e- basically each of the colors has a specialty. Like the red cards are all the bomb cards and the, you know, the blue cards, you know, correspond to different ones. And you have to also play certain colored cards to drill through certain colored areas mm-hmm. on the board as well. So you have to use that. And then, you know, some of the cards come with little bonuses that when you play that card, you also get an extra bonus. Like maybe you can you can use bombs to take care of steel plates on that turn mm-hmm. and, and things of that nature. So I like the strategy that that offered you there. Um, each of the earth boards are double-sided as well, so you can vary that as you go through the game. Are there too. more of them? Or no, no, that was it was, just the, it was just the ones that we had, but okay. like I said, you can, you can pick and choose as you go through. I was just curious. And, and it was fun. Like I said, we're, we're always looking for for new ways for deck building games to be interesting. Mm-hmm. And this one worked out well because you basically have your whole tableau at the front at the beginning of the game. And it's kind of your choice, how you acquire the different cards as right. well. What's your strategy is going to be right. And then, and, and also the achievements that keep popping up can also make you deviate as well as you're well, trying and to it cracked those. me up. Cause at first I wasn't even paying attention. He's like, Oh, well you just did this. I'm like, Oh sweet. You know? Yeah. And well, and that's kind of important cause it's kind of what you need to, <laughs> to win the game. So yeah, super mother was great. Um, I know, I think it's kind of in between print runs if it is even available, but if you can find yourself a copy, I would definitely recommend seeking it out. It was, it was pretty fun. Um, next on the list is King Chocolate. I never thought I'd play a game about being a chocolatier, but now that I have, I'm happy that I did. And this this is another <laughs> one that I'd heard some things about, um, and I, on a whim, 
put it on a list in a math trade and, and end up getting it. Um, this is a tile laying game of sorts where you have these t- these hexagon tiles that are all in pairs, essentially. And each turn, you're going to lay one of these tiles out on the board. And each of the tiles has a numbered area from one to six, which will have a certain number of circles on it. And essentially, you are going through the chocolate making process from you know step one to step two to step three, and so on and so forth. And when you play these tiles to the table, you're trying to make groups of same colored hexagons because when you are moving the chocolate along, it's moving along, you're moving it to different groups that are on the board. And what you're trying to do is move the chocolate from each, you know, from one stage to the next onto tiles that you specifically control because you have four meeples that can make their way out on the board. And when chocolate is moved from an area that you control, then you actually get money, which is victory points in this game, equal to the number of cubes that get processed off of that area. You also get points for cubes that are processed off of areas that nobody owns. So basically you're trying to make sure that your opponent is using your areas for processing and you're trying to also make sure that you use areas that either are unowned or are also your areas in order to get victory points as you go throughout the game. So mm-hmm. there, it's it's a very... It's a very tactical game. It's very much more strategic than you would think at first glance. Right. It's very, very unassuming. Um, and I know you were also freaked out because there's a ton of tiles. And basically, for the game to end, you have to go through all of them. And you're like, oh, this is going to take forever. But that's also a strategy as well. You can use the drawing of tiles as a, you know, as a clock hastener, mm-hmm. especially late in the game if you have a feeling that you're ahead on points because unfor- all, all the scoring is hidden. You have no idea what your opponent scored. Um, so you can try to hasten the end of the game if you think that you're running close by drawing tiles from the draw area. Um, it's a really interesting game that's kind of hard to describe, but it was a fun way to do like area control, tile laying, and stuff like that. Well, he told me tile laying and I was sold. I love tile right. laying games. <laughs> And and my biggest concern, because of the aspect where you want to use your stuff and get your opponent to use your stuff if possible, I thought it would be difficult to be successful with two players. And it actually worked out really well. No, it was really... It was good. Well, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to carve out the biggest swaths of connected groups essentially Mm -hmm. so that that way if your opponent wants to move a mass of cubes from one area to the next they have to go through your well as i said and i tried to get smart about it once we got towards the end of the game i uh was moving my dudes to the higher numbered slots because i knew you were trying to move them out right and you had no other course but to go through me right and that's and that's kind of what you have to do in that game so yeah king chocolate was really cool um, I also kind of enjoyed the presentation of the game because the rule book, um, the cover of it looks like a sheet that goes on top of like a box of chocolates, essentially. Mm-hmm. So when you open the box, that's kind of what you see. Yeah, he opens up. He's like, where's the rule book? And he goes, oh, yeah. it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is another one that if you like, um, you know, sort of area control, I guess, that would be well worth seeking out. Even at two players. I think I think there's a lot of meat in that game, mm-hmm. even at the lower player account there. So that's King Chocolate. Um, I think Mayfair put it out, if I'm not mistaken, in the U.S., so that'd be one to to seek out. The last uh, game to give impressions on this week, uh, we got the new expansion for Tashkalar, the Nether Void faction. Um, the thing that it adds to Tashkalar is you have this faction of, like, these, you know, demon characters, 
and they have a little jewel called the gate. And when you summon one of these characters, um, the gate token goes on top of that character's tile, essentially. And from then forward, um, the gate is used in a lot of different ways because there's a lot of their cards that interact with the gate, either, you know, moving tiles towards the gate or using the gate to move, that sort of stuff. So it just basically gives you this um, this new element to work around. Um, so I enjoyed playing this faction. I thought I thought they were a lot of fun. They might be my favorite faction that I've used in the game so far. Yeah. Out of the five that are available. And you and you said they were it was kind of tricky to deal with as well. Oh, absolutely, because that gate just kind of screws things up. I mean, when you, because I forget what it was that you did, but um, it's like whatever, or it was something on your turn with the spaces surrounding the gate, and I was just about to claim a card Mm -hmm. on my next turn, and then you're just like, oh no, but I have the gate here, so bam, I'm going to knock out like nine of your pieces. I'm like, oh god. Yeah, it's, it, it, yeah I, yours was a little more punchy than yeah. most of the other ones are. So it seems like it so far. Yeah, so Tashkar continues to get really cool. I hope they continue kind of trickling out these small yeah, expansions because like it, it uh, definitely adds a lot of replayability to the game. Um, so yeah, Nether Void, very good. Uh, like I said, it's my favorite one that they've come out with so far. I like it better than the Frost whatever Well, expansion. and that's what I played with, I, but I like the Everfrost. Yeah, that's I I didn't like them as much. Like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't like the Frost ability as much, but I think the Gate one is cool because it lets you do some different things. And I still like the green. Yeah, the, green the Druids, one. where yeah. you can, like, populate the fairies crazy. and stuff. Yeah, yeah that's, I that's, think that's one of my faves. Very cool. Well, that is, uh, that is all the new stuff we've been playing, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk all about... Asymmetric games with two players. This week, from uh, from Justin, one of our listeners, uh, suggested that we talk about asymmetric games and what are some of our favorite ones to play with two players. Um, and this, it's not a genre of game; it's more of a I don't even know if you call Style. it a mechanic. Style is probably <laughs> the best way to put it. Um, that I actually like a lot. And I think lend it, lends itself very well, especially to two players. So for those of you not sure what we're talking about, um, an asymmetric game is a game where each player has like a completely different set of skills, essentially. Like, like, like not just variable player powers, but like very different ways of obtaining their, their objective. And to me, even though it's not necessarily required in the, demonstra- in the definition of asymmetry, I feel like that each player needs to have different goals as well in order to win the game. Like, like the players shouldn't be working towards a common goal because there's certainly a lot of games out there where the players have, you know, like take Soul of Fide, for example. We were just playing that last night where the players have wildly different decks available to them. But, but the goal is still to collect, goal, you know, as many regions as possible and to score those points exactly. Right. So I, I feel like a different uh, separate goal is, is essential. Um, and as I said, two players tends to work really well because these type of games can be difficult to balance with three or more. I mean, as a matter of fact, like Vast and the Crystal Caverns, which is a game we haven't played, is one of the only games that really comes to mind of a game that is asymmetric but works well with like the higher you know, three, four, five player accounts. Um, Cosmic Encounter, I guess, kind of falls under that umbrella as well mm-hmm. in some ways because, you know, you have wildly different player powers that that go. 
Um, so we'll, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit and talk about some of the games that we like that are asymmetric. And I kind of, kind of broke this up into different genres, um, because I guess that's just the easiest way to really go about it. Genres? Yeah. So like card games, for example, um, probably the easiest genre to do this in just because of how, you know, cards are designed. My favorite I know is not going to be your favorite. And it's the one, you know, a game I talk about a lot in the show is being incredibly influential to me, and that's Android Netrunner, where you literally have one faction playing as, or one side playing as the runner, who has programs they can install to try and hack through the corporate corporation systems. They're trying to steal these agendas, um, and they have a completely set of different set of tools than the mega corporations do, which is trying to put up these firewalls to protect their corporate agendas that they can advance and then eventually execute them and score them. And just a really like to me, that's like the best example that you can find of asymmetry in in a board game is Android Netrunner, mm-hmm. a game that I know that you are not partial to. Yes, but again, how do, what have I told you? If I played it now, it'd probably be better. I played New Angeles, but that's not Android Netrunner. That's just it, in the got, universe. It's but it's still you know I had to be, well in that one. Here I am. I'm the bad guy in that one, and all you, you know, were trying to find me out. Yep. So, so yeah. Um, there's some other good examples of card games. Um, one that I, a game that again I don't think it's enough credit, but it's really cool is Vampire Empire. <laughs> one we picked up on the clearance rack. Yeah, but that game's fun, and like it so is. that's you, you know one player is the vampire trying to kill all of the townspeople. I and, love the art. On you know, the one player is villager trying to find. I love the art on the cards. It's great. Yeah, the, well, the, it's because it's got that cool gothic style. Each player has separate decks that have different abilities and stuff like that that you can do. The sun deck and the moon deck. Right, yeah, it's I a great it. little, it's a great little two-player game. And uh, also, bottom of the ninth, another you know great example of asymmetry where you know one player is batting, the other player is pitching, and bat the you know batting player is trying to score a run, pitching player is trying to strike you out, strike you out. And uh, and do that whole thing. So those so those are some great card game examples of asymmetry. And wh- so why don't you handle uh, hidden movement? Because I know that you love yourself some hidden movement. Games. I do love hidden movement games. I didn't think I would love them as much as I do. Um, but our well, one of my favorites anyway has been Spectre Ops. Mm-hmm. Now I have to preface this by saying. This is one of those ones Brad showed me long ago, and I'm just like, hun, no, I just don't think I'll like it. So he did the normal Brad thing and went ahead and got it anyway. I did. And, uh, yeah, so we played it. Did I, what was I, was I the? You were, the first time we played, you were the agent that was trying to infiltrate. I, I was the bad guy. Well, bad bad and good is a matter of perspective well, in that well, game, but... <laughs> I, When I think of it, I think it in terms of a good guy, bad guy kind of thing. So I was the one, I was trying to escape. Yes. So... I had a lot of fun because, like, I was re- I loved I loved the cat and mouse thing. Mm-hmm. I really do because, like, he's in there. He finally found me one time, and then I like zip 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 away, and he's like, "Where the hell did you go?" I'm like, <laughs> "Well, and it seems like when we've played games like that because we've also played Letters from Whitechapel and and another game that I mentioned um, under Hidden Movement for Asymmetry is Fury of Dracula. Yes, yes, which we should play again because yeah. it was fun. But uh, but you you seem to like playing the. Like the hidden character and the one that's trying to... Yeah, which is funny because, I mean, usually I'm really... I feel like I'm not good at that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Maybe I found 
found something here. Yeah, and, and I actually, I think I like Fury of Dracula more, but it's a harder game to get out because it takes like three hours to play it right. whenever you play it. Whereas Spectrops, you can you can roll through it in 45 to an hour. Spectrops, we can put go. on Finding Dory and get it in. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so and, and so Hidden Movement, um, very easy way to do asymmetry just because obviously you have, you know, the one side versus... Versus the other side. Oh, absolutely. Um, that also kind of corresponds to the third and final category that I thought of with games like this, and that is like skirmish slash dungeon crawl games. Again, any any game where there's a one versus many element is by definition usually going to be an asymmetric game because you know the bad guy player is going to have such a widely different skill set than the like the others. Players. Well, the others the others is the one that um that probably we've been playing more of lately, mm-hmm. um, which is a very cool game. Which is funny because I, you know, like I said, I'm not the one to be the bad guy, but I love being the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Some of these games, I just love being the bad guy. It's great. Like, I I, I don't know what it is about it. Well, it's fun. It's fun. To, it's fun because usually, well, the, usually the bad guys because, get cooler toys. So. And it's funny because you don't care. You're just like, okay, you can be the bad guy. I'm like, all right, yes. Well, I, I don't mind. Well, because when we first started playing games like that, usually they recommend that the quote unquote more experienced player take over the villain role because it's supposed to be harder to play. But or the dungeon master where yeah, you were yeah. like, well, I'm tired of being the dungeon master all the time. I was like, well, why don't you give me a shot? You won't let me do it. Well, you, won't, you wouldn't give me a shot. Well, that's worked out. It, we we found a good synergy with that because I actually like playing you know the multiple kids usually in, in two player games, especially with games like this the quote-unquote hero character has to usually assume multiple characters Mm -hmm. as you go, which I don't mind doing. Like, I like kind of balancing that out and doing that whole thing. Um, So the others is a great example of this. Um, The one that I propped up, I think, being the best two-player game is Claustrophobia. Oh, God, Claustrophobia. Yeah, which is specifically designed only for two players. Like, you can only play this as a two-player game. I love it. That one's great being the bad guy. I love that my big bad guy... He has one of his minions' heads like under his foot on his little figure. I'm just like, that's just ba. I love it. Yeah, and 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 with claustrophobia, it's actually seems like it's way more fun to play as the bad guy, just because you have that that board you that play you can as the allocate. Bad guy next time, you know, no, because you you have such fun doing it. It's it's cool. Um, or do you just enjoy me see, seeing me have so much fun with it? Is that part of it? Well, it's also you're really good at. It. I don't think I've beaten you yet since we've in playing that. Nope. At all. So that's that's a great two player example. Um, another great example that kind of falls under skirmish dungeon crawl, but can also be a dexterity game is is uh, catacombs, which we've talked about quite a bit as well. Did I? That one's tough. That one is super tough if you're the heroes, because I think I've played the heroes mm-hmm. every time now, right? I don't. I, I actually, yeah, you have. So that one. That one's super duper tough. I feel like because. The the bad guys just get, you know, like he said, the bad guys always get the cooler toys. Mm-hmm. Like the one game I remember, he was the he had the gelatinous cube and the gelatinous cube had all kinds of crazy stuff it could do. I'm just like, oh, that's just not fair. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, you know, so th- those those are uh, some really good examples of asymmetric two player games. Um, there's a lot of other games that certainly fall into this umbrella. A lot of card games. um can fall into this as well. Like we played the Star Wars LCG, which we weren't fans of, but certainly that is 
most definitely an asymmetric game because you know the Empire and Rebellion play wildly differently with that one. Uh, Star Wars Rebellion also a terrific example of a game with a lot of asymmetry that we just haven't gotten to play that much, so we can't really you know. I feel I feel weird recommending it. Plus, it's also that's much more of an epic game, which is tough to play. Right. And then, like as far as other asymmetric games that we'd recommend, it depends on how far you're willing to stretch that definition. Um, I kept it very narrow on purpose because I feel like that the games that we listed are the ones, at least in our collection, where the you know the difference in factions really shines through. Right, and you need that because you need them to be, like you said, wildly different. That way, you know, you have that. Well, I just, I just find it interesting because it's um, with even if you have a game that has variable player powers, but you're still trying to achieve the same objective, essentially. Like, yeah, the strategy is going to be different every time, but it's also easier to predict what your opponent's trying to do. I feel like, Mm -hmm. whereas in games. You know, Android Netrunner especially, but also Vampire Empire because of the, you know, the bluffing aspect and also the hidden movement games where you're trying to seek well, someone like out. Well, like Spectre Ops. I mean, here I am. You found me one second and the next I'm in the wind. Right. Like, I, I, think, know, I, like... Think, I think when you have different goals and when you have different ways to achieve those goals, I think you're kept on your toes a little bit more. Um, and, and also asymmetry is where it's hard to do bluffing games with two players unless you are doing something something like that where you, you know, hidden movement especially, but also, you know, Netrunner has tons of bluffing and bottom of the ninth has tons of bluffing and, and things of that nature. So it's, 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 I, I just, I really enjoy these type of games because I really feel like that they have a lot of, lot to, lot to get through and, and have a lot of replayability and they still feel fresh. As well, and that's along. what it is, is because of the nature of them, they're always going to feel fresh, I feel, because, you never know what you're going to get. You really don't. Right. And then, like, even if you've mastered one side of the coin, like, you can switch and have to kind of relearn the same game well, all like, over again. Well, like you said, with Spectre Ops, we actually, the last time we played, we swapped roles, and I was the good guys. You were the bad guy. Uh-huh. Did you have more fun as the bad guy? Because I had so much fun as the bad guy. See, I actually like playing, in Spectre Ops, I like playing the hunters more than I like playing the, the agent. Yeah. Yeah, because it's more, I, I, I like trying to, you know, corner you and surround you. That. Well, I like being the agent because I like that. Oh my! Like, uh, well, I'll I'll equate it to my my love for horror movies, where I kind of love being scared, but then I'm like terrified for the rest of the night. Right. But like, I love that. Oh my god! Oh my god! Like, he's going to get me. He's going to get me, and right. then I like narrowly escape. I love it. Yeah, but it's and and like so a lot of campaign games will do this get as well. A little bit of a rush. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, obviously, Descent, Imperial Assault, those games. Lots of asymmetry in there as well. The campaign part of it makes it tough for us to to kind of stick along with that. But yeah, so but it's like I said, asymmetric games are really cool, um, and it's it can be tough to do well. But hopefully, some of the examples we gave, if you play two players primarily, those are ones you should seek out and see. Uh, and see said, how they I would you. definitely get Vampire Empire because it's just one of those. I I just think it's a very cool little game. Maybe that's a game we'll have to do. Is is like. Like hidden gem games, like games that don't get a lot of talk. It's hard to gauge that though, because people that you know in the know people well, might have heard that or not. Well, hidden gems. It could be Emily Brad's hidden gems. You know what I mean? Like, like we were just talking ones that we weren't expecting. Like, to, like a couple to weeks ago, well, talking yeah. about Fleet, where we're just like, why don't we play this more than we do? Right. You know what I mean? Fair enough. So there you go. So that was our talk on on asymmetric games. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that, and let us know uh, some of your favorites. 
Um, certainly, especially if it plays two players, because we want to know about them, so we can we can check them Absolutely. out too. Absolutely. So that's uh, that's gonna be it for us this week. Actually, a little bit of a shorter show, I guess. Um, don't forget that we are one of many shows in the TNP Studios network of shows. So check out all the other great podcasts that we have in that network as well, including their Apocalypse, Dense Pixels, Black on Black Cinema, and Mouthful of Toast. Um, again, check us out on Twitter, Facebook, show topics, send them to us. Uh, let us know. Um, keep an eye on our YouTube channel as well, because that's probably where we wind up posting the the Duchess overview video. So if you're interested in that, um, you know, we'll, we'll of course announce we'll let that you get up out. close and personal with the Duchess. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, we will talk to you guys in a couple weeks. Bye.